Well, I am guessing in this room, most of us are Christians. Not all. I mean, some are just starting to figure out Jesus and look into that. So glad you guys are here. Take your time. We're glad you're looking into Christ. But most of us are Christians. As part of our Christianity, we, we want to be disciples of Christ, right? And so that means we, we serve Jesus. We give our, our time and our talent to, to serve his ministry. We give of our money, right? Uh, then we, we dig into his word and into prayer. So we're spending time on our own in the scriptures. We get into some small group. So we give up more time there where we fellowship, whether it's community group or women's study or men's study. We do all that stuff. And yet, despite all that that we're doing for God, life still goes all 2020 on us, right? And, and, and there's hardship. There's, there's pandemics and there's politics and, and there's personal struggles, right? So maybe it could be marital strife or separation, divorce. People get sick. People die. People lose their jobs. People have kids. That's hardship right there. Trust me. And so, so life is difficult, and Shannon and I were talking recently, just the people in our community group that we're in, like some really good people that love Jesus and some really, really hard stuff in their lives. On our staff team, we have great staff, and there's some really hard stuff happening in their lives. In the midst of that, we are tempted to just say, God, what the heck? Right? I mean, I'm doing my part. I'm serving, I'm giving, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to worship. Like I'm in a small group, like I'm doing all this, God. Why are you, God, not doing your part? What is going on here? Why am I even a Christian if this is the way it's going to be? Can you relate to that? I think all of us ask that at times. I wonder if the young Christians in Thessalonica were tempted to ask that same question. As we're studying through these two letters in the New Testament, one of the themes that comes up over and over is how they are experiencing persecution and affliction and hardship. It's tough for them. I thought about making the case by throwing like five or six passages at you. Take my word for it. I'll show you just one. It's coming out of the second letter, actually. Chapter one, verse four says this. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. They had it tough. There was both persecution and affliction. That's important for us. My guess is that none of us really experienced too much on the persecution side. I mean, we're talking like beatings and imprisonment and torture, loss of property. I don't think anyone in here has experienced that for our faith in Christ. Has anyone in here experienced martyrdom? No, you'd be dead. You wouldn't be here, right? Okay, but you get the point. Like we, we don't experience persecution for our faith too much. However, persecution and affliction, like all of us have experienced hardship and difficulty and affliction, right? We get that. Tough times. Tough times. Now remember, Paul is like a parent. These are letters from your dad. He's like a parent to these spiritual children of his in Thessalonica. You know the phrase that a mom is only as happy as her least happy child. Right? It's true. Paul is a spiritual parent to them. And these are his kids. He cares about them. And they're in difficulty. They're in tough times. And he is dying for them. 
Now remember, Paul left them because of persecution. Paul's very presence in the city was causing some of the persecution. Think of uh, so many movies where the hero actually has to leave his loved ones in order to protect them, right? Like they are coming for him, and if he stays there, he's putting them in danger. So he leaves in order to love and protect them. That's kind of like Paul. He had to leave the city in order to protect his family that he loves, these spiritual kids. Sneaks out of town. Now he knows, nonetheless, that that doesn't mean the persecution was going to stop. That would just ease it up a hair. And the, the Jews, in this case it was the Jews in that city, they were still trying to stamp out the church. So persecution kept going on. And so it is bad for these young Christians, and yet in this case now dad's not there. Dad's not there to protect them and encourage them and speak truth to them and spur them on and comfort them. I mean, parents, you can imagine, your, your kid's out of town going through real difficulty and you're not there to help. It's hard, right? That's what Paul is experiencing. So eventually he could bear it no longer, and what he does is he sneaks Timothy up there to check on the kids. Timothy works because Paul is like, he's too much on the radar. If Paul goes, it gets bad. But we can sneak Timothy into town. And so he sends him up there, and that brings us to our passage for today. We're still in the first letter, but now we're in the third chapter. And the first eight verses look like this. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distresses and afflictions, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. It's a great passage. And what it's packed with is a lot of advice on how to deal with affliction. Actually, what I'm going to talk about is how to not deal with affliction, what not to do. During affliction. I'm going to throw some bullet points at you this time, right? Like, first one is this. Don't be fake. Don't be fake. Paul, did you know it? He called it what it is, affliction. He says it three times in eight verses. This is not superficial, fake Christianity. How's it going, brother? Well, praise the Lord. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Meanwhile, his life is crumbling. His ducks aren't in a row. He can't even find his ducks. When he finds the ducks, they're like squirrels at a rave, right? Like, life is hard. Life is messy. We, you know, we don't go from hard to easy. What we go is from hard to a different flavor of hard. 
When we greet each other, we shouldn't say, hey, how are you doing? We should say, hey, what season of heart are you in? It's more real, right? That's just how life is. And so don't be fake. Listen, church ought to be a place, a safe place to not have your ducks in a row. To admit that, yes, there is affliction and hardship and it's difficult. We can be honest about that. Don't be fake. Don't be fake. The second bullet is this. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Look what Paul says. He says, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Destined for this? I thought we were destined for eternity, for heaven, for paradise. Well, yeah. Yeah, we are. But until then, we're destined for affliction. So don't be surprised. Listen, when somebody gets sick and dies, why are we surprised? Sad, yes, absolutely. Full permission to mourn, to grieve, to be sad, absolutely. But why are we surprised? Or, or why are we surprised by marital strife, gossip, hatred, racism? Okay, listen, we ought to be sad we ought to be upset. We ought to do something about it. Make no mistake. But surprised? No. No. When sin entered the perfect garden of Eden and all the consequences and hardship with it, that was surprising. Ever since then, par for the course. Nothing surprising about it. Listen, if you choose to live in Canada, don't be surprised by the cold. Right? Duh. Duh. If you choose to live in Florida, don't be surprised by the heat. If you're a Christian living in a fallen, broken, messy world, don't be surprised by the affliction. That's par for the course. But usually we go the other way, right? <laughs> like, listen, when things are going well in your life, we ought to go, God, what the heck is going on? We don't do that, right? We, go, we act like that's somehow normal. In a fallen, broken, messy world. Makes no sense. And then when things go fallen, broken, and messy, we go, God, what the heck? What are you doing? That doesn't make sense, right? Don't be surprised. Now, in part, we are surprised because unfortunately, some pastors teach junk. They teach health and wealth and prosperity gospel. And I'll tell you what, I have no idea how to square that kind of teaching with these passages from the scriptures. I also don't know how to square it with my experience of life. Yes, we are destined for health and wealth and prosperity when Jesus comes back. Okay? At the second coming of Christ, things are going to get really good. Until that time, our experience will be much more like the first coming of Christ. Born in a manger, homeless, right? Beaten, crucified. Yeah, it's going to hurt until he comes back. And Paul's like, listen, guys, I told you, right? Do you hear the big I told you so in that passage? I kept telling you, were you not listening? He's a dad. I told you, he's a dad. That's what dads say right there. I told you so. I remember when uh, Caleb got his first knife. Okay, I bought a knife for him, gave it to him, and I said, listen, you got to know something very clearly. Cut away. You're going to go out, you're going to be whittling, always whittle away, right? Give him the knife. He goes out in the backyard, he picks up a stick. Within a couple hours, we're at an ER getting stitches right here, right? Right on. 
Whittled right toward him, stuck it right in his hand. I told you! Were you not listening? But that's all of us. As spiritual children, we have very selective hearing. We do. And, and, and so as pastors, we tell you, listen, even though you're a Christian, life's still going to be hard. And what you hear is, pray this magic prayer and everything will be rosy. Wait, where'd you get that? That's not what we said. I told you it's going to be hard. And then a hardship comes and you freak out. Expectations are very important. If you expect it to be hard, it will be hard. And when it is hard, you won't freak out because you expected that, right? But if you expect it to be easy, it's still going to be hard. But when it's hard, now you're going to freak out. You're not very stable because you expected it to be easy. See, expectations are important. Don't be surprised. Paul's saying, don't be surprised. The next bullet is this. Don't be moved. Don't be moved. He, he, he wrote this. He said, we send Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. That no one be moved by these afflictions. The word in the original there for moved, it, it's related to the word for a dog wagging its tail. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Our dog Taco does this whenever I come home. Like if I take the trash out to the street, I'm gone for like a full 30 seconds, right? You re-enter the house and she's it's like she hadn't seen me for a month, right? And she's just going nuts. Back and forth. The tail's just wagging, wagging, wagging. Don't be like, back and forth is unstable. It's wishy-washy. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are just like that. Don't be that guy. Be solid, be stable, rain or shine. You don't want to be a fair weather friend to Jesus. Things are going good. I love Jesus. Things are going bad. I don't like Jesus. Wishy-washy, back and forth, back and forth. So what, what Paul did is so that they wouldn't be moved by these afflictions, he sends Timothy up there and it said to establish them in their faith. See, when affliction strikes, that is when your faith can get real. It's actually a great opportunity for your faith to get real. I wonder, I, I have a supposition that maybe your faith is not real until affliction hits your life. You still have selective hearing. You're still expecting paradise in a fallen, broken world. Makes no sense, but we expect that, right? And in that case, I wonder if you don't have faith, but you have a fairy wish. It's different than faith. And then when Hardship strikes, stuff can get real because we got to answer the question, do I really believe this stuff? Am I just in it for the goodies? Or do I really believe it? Do I believe God is still in control? Do I believe God is still good? Do I believe he is still my dad? Do I believe this stuff? And faith gets real. It's two periods of my life I remember faith getting really real. The first was when we were young, married, and trying to have kids, and things weren't going well, and First miscarriage, second miscarriage, our hearts were just breaking. It was just a hard, hard season. But I remember during that time running to God, not away. My faith was not a fairy wish. My faith got real. More recently, when my daughter was suicidal, hard, dark season in our life, uh, she dealt with a lot of things that a lot of teenagers deal with. 
But then it was greatly augmented. She, she has epilepsy and she was on some new meds and they had side effects of suicidal ideation. And so it just fanned the flames and she was tail spinning and looking up painless ways to kill herself. And um, it was a hard, hard season as we put her on suicide watch. And during that time, my wife got a kidney stone. So now I'm trying to keep my daughter alive. I'm trying to play nursemaid to my wife. She went to the doctor to get a scan. And in the scan, they said, oh, by the way, after the kidney stone, you need to get to another doctor because we found a large mass on your pancreas. Uh, Spoiler alert, but the good news is that it was a false read. It was a shadow. But at the time, I didn't know that. You don't live from pancreatic cancer. It's a killer, you know. And so here I am going, okay, so probably by the end of this year, I'm going to lose my daughter and my wife. And yet my God is good. My God is good. And in that moment, my faith got real. It's not a fairy wish. Like, my God is good. Even in the midst of hardship, do not be moved. Actually, there's a sense in which affliction will move you. The only question is in which direction. Are you going to run toward God or run away from God during affliction? Don't be moved in the wrong direction. Let your faith become real and deep and established. Well, the next bullet point is this. Do not get conned. Do not be conned by the enemy. If you notice in the passage, Paul referred to the tempter. Okay? Evil's real. Satan's real. The devil's real. Make no mistake. This is the evil one, the enemy of your soul. And when hardship comes, it might come from the devil. It might just be that we're living in a broken, fallen world. It might actually come from God where he's growing us and developing us. We don't always know which direction the hardship's coming from, but here's the thing. Regardless of where it came from, the tempter's gonna try to capitalize on it. He's gonna try to leverage that moment to rattle your faith and move you away from God. Winston Churchill famously said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Just like a good politician. And it's exactly what Satan said. And yeah, I just allowed Satan and politicians together. Do with that what you will, but move on, right? We'll move on. But, but listen, Satan does the same thing. Never let a good hardship go to waste. And so he's going to try to leverage that moment to whisper into your ear and to tempt you. See, the temptation in this case is not toward a particular sin. It's to moving away from God. That's the temptation that Paul's speaking about here. And during affliction and a hardship, you can almost hear the whisper from the evil one. This is bullcrap. This is... Why would God do this to you? Why, like, look at all you do for him. Look at all you're doing. And what's he doing for you? Why is he letting this happen to you? You can't trust him. You need to choose better when you choose your God. It's the whisper of the evil one right there. And it's the same exact con that he used on Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You look back in the first couple chapters of Genesis, and there it is. He's whispering to them, God's not for you. God, God's not taking care of you. God's against you. You can't trust him. That's his con. Now, listen, Jesus came. Jesus died in your place to pay for your sins. And he he did it in order to rescue us out of this hellhole. Now, he's left us here temporarily because he's in the process of populating heaven with more people like us. That's what he's up to. 
And in the meantime, yes, we are in a crummy world and it is hard, but Satan wants us in the meantime to turn our back on God and leave him. No way. Don't buy his con. Don't be conned. The fact is, there is a war going on. There's a war going on. And you used to belong to Satan's side. Know that. You were part of Satan's army. But you change, if you're a Christian, you change sides. Good deal. But listen, when you switch sides, the war didn't stop for you. The war is still raging, right? The victory is not that we have an easy life. The victory is that now we're on the winning side. That's the victory. And yet the final victory hasn't come yet. The battle still wages on. Why would we expect an easy life during wartime? And so we don't have one. And yet here's the tempter, the evil one, trying to tempt these Christians in Thessalonica, saying, listen, just bow your knee to an idol. Everyone else in the city's doing it. You can still have Jesus too, okay? But just bow to, bow to Caesar, bow to an idol. And then, listen, aren't you tired? It'll get easier. It's not just them back then. That sounds a lot like what he says to us today as he whispers into our life. And he says, listen, you can still have Christian religion. You can still go to church on Sunday. You can still have Jesus, but just bow your knee to the cultural idols. Tell the culture what it wants to hear. You know, they, they have thoughts about sexuality and gender and divorce and plurality. Why don't you bow to that too? It'll be so much easier for you. Aren't you tired? You can have both. One of the sneaky things about Satan is that he mixes lies with truth all the time. And there is some truth in that, that it is harder for us because we're Christians. Later on, Timothy would be the pastor at Ephesus. And Paul would write to him as he's there, uh, he's got a couple letters, First and Second Timothy, and he writes in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Dang. But here's the thing. You're on God's side. You're on the right side. You're on the winning side. Nonetheless, we're still at war. So there is hardship and there is affliction and there is suffering. So listen, God's blessing in your life is not the absence of affliction. God's blessing in your life is his presence through the affliction. That's what we're in for. While we await the final victory, do not be conned by the enemy. All right, the next bullet is this. Don't be short-sighted. Don't be short-sighted. <laughs> these, this, these Thessalonians, they chose to become a Christians while the Christians were being persecuted. That's so crazy. Why would they? They did it because it's true. It's real. It's worth it. But note this. They also did it because God brings good even out of hardship. It's what he does. It's his art. And he does it both now during the broken fallen world and later when we go home, both now and then. Let me break those down for you. There are some good things that God does because of affliction now. I'll quickly list five of them. One, our faith becomes real. Told you that already. That's a good thing that happens only with affliction during this world. And that happens now. 
Secondly, we can run to God. Like, this causes us to be closer to God. That's a good thing during this crummy world. Then thirdly, worship and beauty comes out of hardship all the time. Do you know the the famous hymn, It Is Well, right? Written by Horatio Spafford. He wrote it on the deck of a ship that was in the middle of the Atlantic crossing from America to Europe. When they got to a certain spot, the captain called Mr. Spafford up on the deck and said, listen, this is the very spot. What he meant by that is the spot where recently another ship was crossing and it went down and his wife and kids were on that ship. His wife was saved alone. All his kids drowned in that icy water. Can you imagine? And so that's the context that then on the deck of that ship at that very spot, he penned that hymn, it is well, it is well with my soul. God does it all the time. Out of the brokenness, he brings beauty. Out of the ashes, he brings beauty. Out of the, he turns graves into gardens. He's the only one who can. We just sang that this morning. That's what our God does. He brings beauty out of the brokenness all the time. Now, a fourth good thing he does during this crime, there are kingdom goals. I gotta be honest with you. Sometimes the good that God brings out of it has nothing to do with you. You experience the hardship, his kingdom gets the glory. And as a good soldier, you're told to take the hill. We take the hill, it's hard on us, but that's what our general called for. And that's exactly what's happening as we read these letters. You understand, listen, the Thessalonian Christians had hardship. Paul and his band, they had hardship and it was all hard for them. And as a result, we get to read these letters today. Do you you get that? If there weren't the persecution, Paul would have never left the city. The only reason he left the city and needed to write to them was because of persecution. And we are blessed today because we got this in our New Testament. Sometimes the kingdom's blessed, but that's now. God brings good out of it. One last thing, God purifies the church through affliction and persecution and hardship. There's a pruning that goes on. And during these seasons, comfortable Christians, consumer Christians, cultural Christians say, this is hard, I'm out, I'm done, Uh uh-uh. But the beauty thing in that moment is discipleship Christianity grows. Adventure Christianity, mission Christianity, kingdom Christianity, lordship Christianity. It grows during that season and the church looks beautiful, radiant. But it comes during hardship. It comes during hardship. So there's all this kind of good stuff that God brings out of the hardship now during this season. But don't miss this. There's then. Okay? Then. Like the Thessalonian Christians kept their eyes focused on the second coming of Christ. It's all throughout these letters. They're looking forward to when Jesus comes back and wraps it all up and we go home and it's beautiful then. They knew that in the affliction, it was the middle of the story, not the final chapter. And they couldn't wait for the final chapter when Jesus comes back. I'll tell you the story of a Scottish missionary named John G. Payton. This Love this guy. In 1858, he sailed for the New Herbides Islands. Today, they're called the Vanuatu Islands. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I couldn't even find it on a map because I'm American, and my geography is terrible, okay? Like, that's the way it is. But 
but he sailed in 1858. Now, the, the islands were chuck full of barbaric cannibals. It was largely viewed as a suicide mission uh, that he would likely die and be eaten. He didn't go alone. He uh, took his young family. Within three months of getting there, his wife died. A week later, his infant son died. He returned to Scotland. He got remarried and went back to the island, which means, check it, like, doesn't, not only was he courageous, but think of the second wife. Like, what? <laughs> That's a woman of faith and courage right there. He went back and served there for 41 years. Today, those islands, 80% of those people claim lordship in Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. When, when he was going back to the islands, there was a fellow Scotsman that tried to dissuade him and said, dude, they are going to eat you. I don't think he said dude, but you get the idea. Like he, they, they're going to eat you. And I absolutely, this is a Scottish brother of mine. I love this guy. Listen to his reply. He said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. That's my faith right there. That is it. It's not health and wealth. It's Big faith, it's bold faith, it's risky faith, it's adventurous faith. It's a king and a kingdom that's worth dying for. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter if I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. The result's the same. Don't be short-sighted. It's just temporary. Jesus is coming back for us. It's just temporary. All right, let me slip in one last bullet point, and it's this. Don't be alone. Don't be alone. You need both God and you need fellow believers. Don't be alone. About the God part, listen, uh, you cannot handle it alone. You need Jesus walking right alongside you. Did you notice in this letter, Paul referred to Timothy as God's co-worker. Just think about that. Like, yeah, I work with God. You know how we tend to pad resumes, right? Like, like I worked with Bill Gates, which means I use Microsoft Word at some point, right? You know, like, like, but, but we do that because like, it's really cool to be able to say I worked with some big deal. Timothy's resume says I worked with God. God's coworker. It's kind of a big deal. It's a really big deal. In fact, it's so audacious of a claim that some Bible translations try to tame it and water it down, but that's exactly what the original languages say. They say Timothy is God's coworker. And it's important because when you are going through affliction, you need to have the mentality that I am God's coworker. We're doing this together. I'm in it with my God. It's important because hard crap is going to happen to you either way, whether you're a Christian or not. Sickness, death, hardship, people are horrible. It's going to happen. And during the hard times, one important question will linger. Will you be God's coworker? 
Will you be walking with God right through the fire? That's the only option. It's not hard or easy. No, hard's guaranteed. The only question is, will I be God's co-worker through this time? So that he's speaking life and encouragement and health and healing and truth into my life. And he's saying, listen, son, listen, daughter, I'm your dad and I'm coming back for you. I'm going to get you. Be God's co-worker. Don't be alone. Oh, and then we need each other. We need each other. See, if you caught it in the letter, the Thessalonian Christians are going through hardship and Paul is down in Athens and he's going through hardship and persecution. And he says that he's comforted by them. Dad was comforted by the children. Why? Because they were handling it so well. And we need to remember that Christianity is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. And I desperately need other Christians cheering me on. I need other Christians reminding me of what is true. I need to see your example of how you're dealing with hardship so faithfully and loving Jesus, and that encourages me when I'm going through it. We need each other. Don't be alone. Don't be alone. All right, there's the bullets. What not to do when dealing with affliction. What I want to do to wrap it up, I want to show you a speed painter. Have you ever heard of this guy, D. Westry? I could try to explain it. It's better to watch it. Like, check this out. Check this out. All right, all right, all right. All right, so what is your talent? What will you be performing today? I'm a speed painter, and I'm going to do a painting in a minute and a half or less. Okay. All right, here we go. Let's hear it for D. Westry. Now, listen, uh, in that moment, did you notice the further and further it went on that they started to get more and more confused and their looks changed on their face and they're like, is, is it a pear? Uh, you know, is it a potato? What, and, and you start to question the artist and them. Like, like, okay, maybe he needs more time. Maybe he's just not that good. Maybe he's not that talented. Maybe it's meaningless. Maybe it's just abstract art. I, like, I don't, what is it? What is it? Watch this. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Because in that moment, once he flips it over, you go, oh, I get it now. Now I see it, right? But listen, understand, we live life and we view it the moment before the artist flips the painting. And the more and more it goes on, we're saying there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of things flying around. It's kind of hard. It's difficult. I don't get it. It's meaningless. Maybe God doesn't know what he's doing. 
Maybe the great artist needs more time or needs more skill and it's just junk. And then he flips it. And we go, okay. I see it now. I get it. You knew exactly what you were doing all along, God. You knew exactly. I didn't see it. Because see, we don't have his perspective. He's looking down. We're looking up. We don't see it the right way. And he flips it and we go, okay, God's in control. What we need to learn to do in the midst of affliction and hardship, we've got to flip the script. We've got to flip the script. And what I mean by that is we've got to go from, come on, God, and we've got to move into, come, God, come. Come on, God. Come on, God is like, why me? This sucks. God, we've got to change this now quickly. And it's not, God, you're messing up. I don't like, come on, God. That's what we usually do in the midst of hardship. And we got to move to come, God, come. Come, God, come. It's hard. I won't deny it. But I also, God, I kind of expected it because I read your word. So I expected it. And so, God, would you please walk with me? Let me be your co-worker through this hard time. Would you keep me from the enemy's con game, from moving away from you? And would you help me remember that you're up to something? I don't always know what it is. I don't see the painting right now, Lord. I don't see it. But help me remember you're up to something. And so, God, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do means I'm your coworker, God. I'm in it with you. What are we going to do together with this? And I know you love me, and I know you're coming back for me. So come, God, come. Come, God, come. I want you to learn to flip the script during hardship. And for that, let me pray. Father in heaven, if we're honest... In the midst of hardship, we are frustrated. We forget. Lord, we want to come to you and not be surprised. We want to run to you. We want to, in this moment, say, God, come, come, God, come. Keep us from being surprised. Keep us from the, the tricks of the enemy. Keep us from moving away from you. Let us run toward you. Be your coworker. Watch, could you let us watch as you bring beauty out of ashes, as you turn graves into gardens? Come, God, come. And send Jesus back for us. Come, God, come. And we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.